0: We ain't seen each other in a long time. I got steaks, I got booze, I got beer. We are hanging out tonight.
1: I'm mailing about with John Polano. He's the writer-director of Small Engine Repair. Hi, John. Welcome.
0: Hi, Robman. Thanks for having me.
1: So, if I move a little bit, there you are.
0: Oh, geez. Cover that up. That's so weird. <laughs> You're hilarious.
1: Where was it? Where, what was this location? Tell me about that.
0: Uh, where we shot the film
1: <clears throat> where where, so, where this backdrop is
0: so that's a a shop a real uh working um mechanic shop in uh tappan new york um which you know because we used a new york crew we did that i mean we shot some in on location in manchester new hampshire but most of it was yonkers and and Tappin. but that particular shot i mean look dude finding the the shop was as hard as casting you know we looked at I don't know, 50 places, you know, to find the right one. And uh, that was there was no question that the location we chose was just perfect. It had so many uh, different, you know, because so much of the movie takes place there. So we had to have all the different nooks and crannies and the different looks. You had a, a little stream with ducks. You had that outside area. You had the actual shop. You had an office. You had a bathroom and all that stuff. It was really, really lucked out with that.
1: So who's Frank? Um, Obviously, you changed the name on the uh, on the auto shop. So this belongs to someone else. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: It's not. uh, It's a it was actually a a, a, a auto repair place and they had a big lift, which we had to remove. That was sort of the the most technically difficult thing to do. Um, But it's it doesn't I forgot what it was called, to be honest. It wasn't quite as. uh, character is is what we did <laughs>
1: <You know. laughs> now this was a play first and I know how challenging it is John to go from a play to a film and also it took you forever I'm sure to make all this happen so sort of give me that backstory a little bit
0: sure so you know in the adaptation of the uh, you know, at that point, at the point that I adapted the play, I had adapted quite a few things as a, as a screenwriter, books mostly and things like that. So, I, you know, I, I tried to take the same approach, you know, which is uh, uh, let the movie find its own personality and mine what works. You know, the, when you do an independent film, one of the smartest things you can do is have a, show, a story that doesn't require a shitload of locations. Uh, it just makes it easier. And you can focus on things that are not, you know, there's no talking robots or aliens or things like that. You keep it, you know, contained. So that always seemed to suit itself. I was like, for the first thing I'm going to direct and make, and, you know, John Bernthal, who was in the first production of this, he and I, from the very beginning, we were like, oh my God, this would be a cool movie. And for for those logistic reasons, also because the material was so battle-tested and it was so provocative Yet at the same time, people got the intent. So you were both entertaining, and we had so many people who came to the play who had never seen a play before, and really? we were like, "Wow, this is what theater is!" You know, because it was started out as late night, and you know, with our circle of friends, especially John. You know, he had knows a lot of fighters, and because of his his career and who he knows, and and uh, uh, you know, cops and firemen, along with this sort of really beautifully supportive theatrical community of LA so everyone's sort of sitting in this 45 seat theater in the the middle of night watching this very provocative play and staying around and talking and being like wow we kind of have lightning in a bottle and it's something dangerous but the the you know a late night play you put it out there and you never quite know sometimes and but the ingredients there were really connecting with people and most important to me was is unfiltered and vulgar as everything was the theme beneath it and sort of the intent of the story was really resonating with people. So we kind of said, Oh, this is really cool. This is this unique thing. And look, if you make a small movie, you got to come big or don't come at all. You know what I mean? So take a, take a big swing, which we do. We didn't want to make sort of a, you know, your typical, the, and I, you know, I love Sundance movies, but a lot of times they are very feel good and they're very sort of, you know, at least the, the newer batch of stuff, you know what I mean? Whereas like, uh, you know, a lot more foreign films, they tend to move the needle and really provoke and they challenge the culture and the audience. So that was something like kind of cool. And then, you know, as both our careers sort of took off, we kept coming back to it. And, and quite honestly, the theme, the technology in 2011 when the play was written was foursquare, but the themes in the scenario just became more and more relevant, sadly lately absolutely yeah and it was more like how do you take what works in the play make it a movie but really harness this moment that we're having and in particular for me it was the me too movement which the the play is in the movie is about having a conversation about a lot of these gender dynamics and really doing so in a subversive way to shift the sort of victimology and shift all that and really spark a conversation which the play always did so when Me Too happened, and a lot of people were a lot more aware of it. I mean, those of us, look, I have a lot of sisters. I've always been sort of empathetic and talking. When Me Too happened, for me, it was never like a huge shock. Like, wait, what's happening? It was like, yeah, I've been hearing these stories my whole life. Yeah. And I tried to create something, a piece of art from a very masculine point of view that addressed these in a very unfiltered, different way. Like, you know, we're all pushing the boulder up the hill with this movement. I wanted to contribute to the dialogue in in, in a different way, uh, hit it in a different way.
1: Yeah, and it's so well done, John. And you know, you mentioned John Bernthal, and of course now he's like mega famous because of The Walking Dead. But you guys were buddies. You were in a, a show, Mob City, together. Yeah. So, and I saw, I saw your little demo reel. I got a kick out of that. Oh my God. I I
0: think I did that thing 10 years ago.
1: Yeah. So, I mean,
0: Mob City happened because, you know, as this play took off and started to move to bigger theaters, one night John uh, invited Frank Darabont to see it and he loved the play. And I kind of knew him a little bit before, but then when Mob City came out, he's like, hey, come on in and, you know, why don't you read for this? And then, you know, he just knew what I could do. I mean, the thing is, is like, I always use that analogy of when you work out, like when you go to the gym uh, and and theater is a gym where you're like lifting 500 pounds. And then you get on a TV show or a guest star or whatever, usually if you're like a weekly, you know, you're like, hey, can you go pick up that 50 pound weight? And you're like, yes, I can. (laughs) So when you get the opportunity to have like Frank Darabont see, you know, a play where the actors are all doing very heavy lifting It's easy for them to say, "Oh, then they could for sure do this," you know, and that was kind of cool. So I had that that big advantage, and I, I had an amazing time on that TV show and learned, you know, and that was one of the, you know, handful of directors I got to work very intimately with. Who definitely, you know, when you direct, you're basically cherry picking things you thought were effective as an actor. Especially, you have that advantage to see how a director communicates with you and the way they make their their films and their shows so you try to sort of yeah cherry pick what works
1: so i have to know did you audition for the walking dead was that because i never Paul auditioned German?
0: i never auditioned for walking dead i didn't you know i met john after the first season and yeah i didn't like i i wasn't at that time as an actor i was believe it or not i made most of my money doing commercials and little guest stars here and there but i certainly wasn't really in the loop of the I wasn't like the hot young actor they're like we got to see the guy for walking dead so i, I really wasn't in that uh <laughs> i think i've auditioned for the show a few times over the years but never anything substantial not like a zombie or anything but always like a two or three guest star arc where you get eaten
1: <laughs> i love that i'd love to be a zombie and get eaten I yeah think right So, so obviously you and John were buddies and then you add in Shea Wiggum to the, to the mix. And did you know him before as well?
0: You know, I knew his work and I knew his reputation and John, as we were casting for Packy, I mean, you know, a lot of people don't realize is when you make an independent movie, even when you make it for the budget, we made it with by, which by no means is like a threadbare budget, but we're not talking like, you know, Marvel money or, or you know, uh, it's not a huge budget. You make a movie like this for as little as you can to maintain as much creative control as you can. <laughs> so, but nonetheless, there's a huge sort of pressure to cast recognizable people. Because when you don't have millions and millions of dollars to market something, you have to hang it on. Like people are like, oh my God, I gotta, I love Shea Wiggum. Let's see, you know what I'm saying? So you're already on second base with that.
1: Nobody so knows fun- him by his name. They know him by his face, which is very interesting.
0: But he always typically did sort of heavy characters and stuff. And I was a huge fan of him from Boardwalk Empire and, you know, King Kong and all this other shit. Loved him. And John, who knew him well, was like, this guy is the best. He's like one of us. He'll really come in sync. So we gave him the script. He really responded to it. I had a couple of calls with him and then we're like, let's do it. And then we really rehearsed this movie like a play, which was like. Sitting at a table working at the script. And I had the advantage of having John and Shay there. And we just worked it and I rewrote it for. I mean, all three of those characters have to be so organically linked that, you know, you can't just rewrite one character, then they all kind of shift. So we just spent months. The the disadvantage of, of an indie movie, it's like you're waiting for the schedule to open up, you know in particular, John was shooting this movie and this movie and Shay had this. So you're like, when is the runway going to happen? One of John's movies fell through. So we're like, okay, here's, the, here's when we're doing it. And it wasn't, you know, I, I mean, I'll be honest, is like the, the, the material had to stay flexible. Like if we're shooting it in the summer, you have to incorporate that. You know, so we ended up shooting it in like the coldest month in New York. And it ended up being massively uh, beneficial thematically and, and for the look of the film. It's cold, it's tough you know, your breath, the snow, it really felt like it added a ton. <laughs> so we were very fortunate in that. But like I said, if the, if, if the the window was August, well, shit, you're making it August. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So I had to constantly be very agile with that and change it around that. But by the time we were shooting, you know, Shay and I had grown very, very close. And the three of us had this rapport that we just, you know, obviously, John and I had a chemistry that Shay was like a little intimidated at first. He's like, I got to catch up, but he did it Effortlessly so, and especially Packy, and especially his version of Packy is a little bit of a, of a sort of outlier, which worked.
1: Yeah, it's obvious that you guys got along great. I don't want to give too much away because there are so many spoiler alerts in this. Yeah. But sorry did, about that. <laughs> that's okay. Did you have that moment where you were like, we cannot go full Dexter here? You know what I mean? <laughs>
0: Um, well, you know, look, I think, again, the advantage of doing the play and knowing sort of where you can go and where the material goes and where it ends, you know, you always you had that and you could kind of build it around that. So I I always feel like um, I just knew thematically very strongly from the play and, and the film what what I as a filmmaker wanted to say with it. So I, you know, we definitely and look, when you make a movie, you, you shoot more than you're going to use. And it's about the edit and, you know, in certain things without giving anything away. Sometimes it's three frames, but it's really as opposed to a play where you're creating just a master scene and you have to, you know, stage it in a way. Um, which which has its advantages and disadvantages. But with the movie, it was just like, hey, you gotta, you gotta. as one director said it to me, he's like shooting, it's like catching butterflies. You catch as many of these butterflies as you can and then you're editing and you're like, all right, let's see what I got. So I definitely, you know, there were some cases where some of the more sort of, you know, extreme portions of the movie, you know, I, I had to cut. Obviously I, I had a lot more to, to deal with and I was like, we just have to discover it in the edit and, and really finesse it.
1: Did, but, um, did the actor have a safe word? You know, a safe word, a safe word yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean,
0: look, we're at that point, uh, you know, we had all been working together so closely. There's an immense amount of trust and, and you know, you know <laughs> I mean, some of the stunt work in the fighting stuff was very real, you know? And I mean, there's a point where I get thrown against a wall by Bernthal's character and we did it again and again. And he was like, look, he's like, the only way this is going to look good if i really throw you against the wall if Uh, i kick your butt (laughs) and he did and i hit my head and uh not not to the point of unconsciousness and you doubt it but like when i was like i was like really seeing stars a little bit (laughs) so those were the moments but you trust each other and you work but look there was never a a, a second of i mean we've all of us all of the performers and everyone and the fight choreographers were from uh you know they're marvel guys who john knew from punisher Eric Linden was our head uh, fight guy. And, you know, oh, that yeah. guy's done, you know, Captain America. So he was fine. So we were always, always in safe hands and all those those moments, which is obviously super important, which is something you take from theater is you're, you, you do it night after night. So you have to make sure everything is safe and, and real. And, you know, it's like when you throw a punch, you're not hitting the person. The person who is selling it is the person who, you know, if I grab someone by the shirt, I don't, I just keep my arms you know, relaxed and they're the ones selling it. So it's just about knowing, you know, the safe, right way to do it and then trusting that person. So I don't know if that's answering your question without really spoiling things, but no, there was never any, uh, <laughs> you know, real life uh, danger in the, in the stunt.
1: Yeah. You know, I'm wondering um, if, if it wasn't like working class guys and you had um, wealthy guys, how much how much different would the approach have been?
0: I mean, I think massively different. I think one of the, look, the film ultimately, the biggest sort of obstacles for the characters is the class and really laying bare that issue, which I feel like everything else we're talking about is, is super important, but we often don't really get the class issue. And what happens is if you have enough money, you can get away with anything in our country. I mean, it's true, fortunately, yeah, it is. And, and we can say whatever we want to say, but if you have enough money, you can. And I'm looking my own life. I've been seeing it either happen to me, people I love where you don't get the justice you really deserve because you don't have the money and you're working paycheck to paycheck and you have all these other litany of stresses. So if these guys were wealthier and they had more a hundred percent, it would be a different situation But that wouldn't, I wouldn't write that because the theme of this is these guys who are living in this cycle of violence and the way that they have. And this thing happens and they don't know how else to deal with it. And that's really the tragedy of it. And, And how you have these different men from different class systems who have their, the way that they can get away with things. And, you know, at the end of these days, these guys, they don't have that ability. And people from this neighborhood, by the way, I think they're reflective of most of the country we most of us don't have those and most of us you know I mean look at these really wealthy people they're always like I'm going to sue the shit out of you or do that like do you have an attorney on you know on standby that you can call I mean like I don't you know so it was sort of the frustration of that in creating that thing where how do you get (laughs) away with it and look we see it more and more where these have these really high profile wealthy men, especially in politics, just doing whatever the hell they want and living these hypocritical lives the and getting away movement. with it. What's that?
1: The wealthy men in the Me Too movement.
0: <laughs> well, and to me that is the, you know, it's easier to sort of sell like these guys would more typically in sort of, I think a lazier storytelling version be more of the the bad guys who do this. And, you know, but the reality being is is like, is. It's not, again, they always try to position us as like the poor people doing the crime. Um, and there is that, but the majority of the, I mean, the people getting away with literal murder in this country are people who have these means to do it. And that was sort of that rebellious fire is, is sort of underneath the whole thing. And, and hopefully you come away and you look at it and you're like, you know, the, the, the ideas of justice and what is earned and what isn't. But under all of that, to me, it was always about women uh, are, 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 the, are getting ground up either way. You know, and that was sort of the statement of
1: it. Wonderful, on that note, I need to let you go. Oh. It was a pleasure. Thank you pleasure. so much. Thank you. My father's gonna sue the shit out of
0: me. How are we gonna get out of this? You didn't think about it. No, 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 no. I wanted tonight to be special. Always news. Always refreshing. Always candid. Always billing about. Robin Milling delivers what celebrities are saying to
1: to you